Hello, 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 6am runners community. Actually, you guys know this is our community. This is our group. I've always said, not just uh, 6am customers, we're doing this podcast for everyone. You guys know I'm Hami. Welcome to the 6am run podcast. For me, this is like we're in, oh, well over 50 episodes recorded. I know you guys are starting to see three a week now, and I want to start every episode as I've always been in the past couple of weeks here now, and that's with gratitude. Thank you guys for downloading, viewing, and whatever you guys are doing to support us. And also, I hope as I'm doing, you guys are learning from every guest that you know we're kind of bringing on. And, and I'm lucky and fortunate to have great guests, which is going to bring me to my next guest, George. Clancis, right? George Clancis. I think I got it right. George, I always say too, when I introduce the audiences, I feel like we can hype ourselves better than anyone else can. So while you introduce yourself, as crazy as it sounds, I always tell people, hype yourself up and tell people why I pinged you and asked you to be on this show. Oh man, you know, I mean, so I always tell people like, I know life transitions, right? I spent 10 years in the Marine Corps, 10 years as a personal coach. I went through some dark days, some career transitions, battle of suicide, divorce, And in that process, I overcame and found out who I was. And through that, writing saved my life. And so these days, I am helping entrepreneurs really tell their story so they can find and attract customers who love them. That's on the surface, right? Underneath, you know, I'm a father to a wonderful six-year-old. I enjoy the outdoors. And I really just allow myself to enjoy life through what comes through me at the time, you know? I love that. And let's start backwards. One, like, Let's start a little bit growing up. I love where you are now. We're going to talk about that. By the way, before we end, I want to make sure you say it. We'll put everything in the bio so people can contact you. That's a huge reason. But if you don't mind, let's spend maybe like a quick less than five minutes. Let's talk about how you got here. How did this all start for you? I don't care how successful you are. We all have ups and downs that make us who we are. We all have definitely emotional scars. But if you don't mind, we just talked in the pre-call. I want to dive into all that. Yeah, sure. So again, I wrote a whole entire book on it. It's called Nowhere to Go. I'm working on the second one called Everyone But Here. But this idea is that I grew up a uh, firstborn son in a European family, Greek family, traditional Greek family. So hardworking, you know, restaurants and all those things. And my family got divorced at a young age. Because I was the son, it was unexpectedly, I saw the divorce coming home from school one day, riding my bikes home with my friends, ready to play Nintendo. I was six years old, only one on the block. You know, I was all excited. And next thing I know, like clothes are getting thrown out the window. All these things are happening. And before I knew it, my life got turned upside down. My dad doing what he did at the best of time, he's like, you have to be the man now. I had no yeah. clue what that was. I have no clue what it means right now at 38 years old. Yeah. Anyways, that left this like under scar underneath me thinking that I always had to prove myself worthy to be a man. So to me, that meant following my dad's footsteps, working hard, you know, no emotions and all these things that made up a man on a surface level without really understanding who George was. And so my whole entire life, I chased life, essentially, basically checking out all the proverbial boxes in life because I didn't know who I was as a teenager and I had really nowhere to go. I was a troubled kid without any guided assistance because my dad was always working. I joined the Marine Corps and... The Marine Corps gave me like a sense of purpose, a sense of feeling to feel like I had somewhere to go and someplace to be, gave me that discipline I needed. And I spent 10 years in the Marine Corps. I spent 10 years in the Marine Corps and 10 years in the Marine Corps. I traveled the world. You know, I saw some, some things. Some of my best friends died. They got killed. And I ran into some problems with addiction and depression in the Marine Corps, but I never really got into trouble. Around the 10th year coming home from Afghanistan, I realized like I was in a place either I could make a choice to leave the Marine Corps or stay in and retire. And I chose to leave. And it was one of the hardest decisions, but also one of the best decisions I ever made. Right. In that process, 
because I kind of rushed my life, not really thinking about it, trusting my intuition, I still felt lost. And everything that I left 10 years ago was right there in front of me waiting for me because we all know the past, it really never outruns you. It follows you everywhere no. you go, right? It does. Yeah. And it's funny, you have a running club, but yeah. So if you're out there running, trying to run away from your problems, it's a great way. Yes, movement does help, but remember your problems are really never your problems. It's always deeper than that. Right. I found myself repeating some of the things that I saw growing up. I married a beautiful woman just like my mom was. She was pretty much almost exactly like my mom. We rushed into the family just like my dad did. And I worked my butt off to provide for the family and was never home. Well, if anyone out there has a family, they understand if you're always away from your partner, you really don't know who each other are. And then you end up growing apart from each other. And that's what happened to me and my ex-wife. We grew apart from each other and things kind of went downhill. We were always fighting. And next thing I know, she was in love with someone else and we were getting a divorce. And so yeah. that kind of like was the downfall of who George was. All these things I thought a man was supposed to be, I did them all. I checked off the boxes. And when life came crashing down, I really had no clue who I was because I attached my self-worth to my identity. I attached my self-worth to my net worth. I attached my self-worth to my relationship status. And I never gave a chance to find out who I was as a man. You know, it's funny, real quick, I do want to interrupt you there. I think you're 38, I'm 42, very much, you know, in that millennial era. And I think it's funny when you say that real quick, I'm very much like you. I thought the thing, it was about being rich, right? Being, it's like, I really thought a rat race is what it is, right? It's like, I got to do better than you. And I don't know if you did, we haven't talked sports, but being a sports person, soccer and basketball, I just had this competitive fire. If a friend of mine got a BMW, well, I needed to go get like a Mercedes, right? Like, it's a good competition, not bad, right? Like I had a lot of friends, but it's funny you say that. Then you get to a point in life. I mean, this is where we're going to get to, guys. You get to a point in life where you realize who the hell is all this shit for, right? Yeah, for sure. And so that brought me to here. You know, I ended up finding myself in joining men's group and all those things. And right now in my life, while things aren't where I thought they were supposed to, which I'm shedding those layers, I'm actually pretty happy. Yeah. And very with minimal stuff around me, right? I, yeah. I published a book, started a business, got a beautiful daughter, and I'm spending more time with her. And these things would have never happened if I was still constantly working to the grind. And, you know, I'm surrounding myself around amazing mentors and friends who have my back. So while I am in the middle of the shit, if anybody's building a business or understands what it's like, it can be quite difficult when you separate from everything you once knew to tr start over. There's a lot of amazing opportunities happening. I'm here on this podcast, which is really rare because of the just, the whole universe of existence is weird. And, you know, I got all these amazing things happening and that's pretty damn cool. I love it. So and let's continue to now go the book. Before we get to the book, let's talk the Marines. We're kind of touching a little bit on it. When you talk about depression a little bit, like I always feel like even me and even when I started this company and my family, we did very similar. Like I said, I feel like our stories are very similar. Everyone's already heard mine, so I'm not going to repeat it for these guys. But it's tough. You grow up. It's funny. Your dad, my dad, my dad, same thing. Immigrant. He's a Persian immigrant. Like, it's funny, though. I don't know if it's right or wrong. I know this is long winded, but bear with me, George. I feel like as men, we also don't want to worry our spouses, our kids, right? Like we may know something that we're worried about, let's say, but I think we try to show our family a poker face because as crazy and maybe as old school as it is, we feel like we're their protectors, right? Man of the house is the word that's always used, right? Can you also touch on that? Like, what are your thoughts on that? When I say that, when I say like, look, 
Are you saying, like, is it good that we sometimes protect our family as much as we can? Should we be more open? And people you deal with every day that I'm sure have the same, same problem. What have you found in, and that's made you happy? How do you handle something like that? And I know we talked about you really in your bio, what I loved is dealing with depression and emotions. You use that word in your bio, emotions, which really triggered me. Yeah, yeah. So the best way I was taught to look at it is from my mentor, now friend, Trevor Boham, who runs a group called Man Uncivilized. He's always taught me to be dangerous, but not a danger. Meaning as a man, you have to have self-confidence in yourself to protect your family, right? But that doesn't mean that you don't show emotions. It doesn't mean that you don't open up to your partners about what's going on in your life. It means that you kind of let them know that this is going on and then you seek counsel and support elsewhere to be able to grow with that, right? Because most men, we use our partners as a, like a therapist. And that's what I used to do in my marriage, not knowing I was doing it. Of course, I did my best with what I knew. But if I could go back, I would now counsel in a therapist, counsel in a men's group to support myself because that's been around for centuries, far before the age of new men, yeah. right? They did this way back when, except for some reason, we got caught between two paradigms. The marble man, which is my mentor says is like that hardcore, you know, that's yeah. where fathers were. They work hard. They have no emotions and they just provide for family. Great. We wouldn't be here without it. And then you have the kind of new age guy, self nice guy, which Dr. Robert Goliver's call. That's the new paradigm where men like have way too many emotions and aren't touched with like their masculine side. Right. And masculine, I mean, like just really taking charge, having confidence, having structure in their lives, things like that. Right. I'm not talking about male versus female. I'm talking about having solid structure in their life. And these are very, very important, I think, as men. And without those, we kind of like shrivel up. Right. So, yeah, I think it's very important to be able to provide and protect for your family. But you have to make sure that you're doing it at a cost that aligns with your truth and you're not exhausting yourself towards. Yeah, I totally agree. So now can you explain to me the Marine Corps? It's a lot of people do that. It's like a 10 year kind of volunteer, but also it's, it's very strenuous that 10 years, once that's up, like, I think you're kind of done. Right. Or is it like, so most people are a four year contract. Yeah, I did 10. So I did 10 as the first few years, I lost my best friend and I wanted to re-enlist and honor him, not knowing, you know, whatever it was. And I had nothing else to do. I was 22 years old. So I re-enlisted. It was a lot of fun. I got to travel the world, guard MC. But, you know, when I went to Iraq and Afghanistan, I spent almost seven years overseas in 10 years. I was just exhausted, man. If we're touching anything sensitive and you want me to move on, let me know. But if you don't mind me asking, obviously that was a time in, I think what I'll remember for a long time, those I think it was almost 15 years, right? Since before Obama, even during Bush, I feel like the 15 years we were there, right? And I feel like a lot, yeah, yeah, I feel like a lot of men and women who served again, and thank you for that, by the way, if I haven't said thank you already, I feel a lot of men and women who have served are coming out of there. And I will say this, I don't want to say that they have issues, but I want to say they definitely are coming home and dealing with some things that they need to fix about themselves because of that. Am I right? Yes. I mean, uh, a lot of veterans, you know, they have transition like trauma, right? Like not knowing how to feel part of something, you know, they've dealt with some things in the military, whatever it is. And so that transition makes it hard because at least for me, I felt extremely lost and like no one understood who I was. And so that really prevented me from like connecting and finding the truth of who I was, right? I got to connect my laptop. Yeah. So that was a really big one for me. I felt lost. I felt disconnected. No one understood who I was. And because of that, I felt all alone. And I just worked my ass off as an addiction to kind of run from my problems, right? And of course, 
We all know how that led to. I was disconnected from my wife, disconnected from everybody. I thought it was completely normal in the workplace. Like I was excelling, I was ahead. And because I didn't trust myself or trust other men because of my relationship with my father, I always had trouble with superiority. And so people thought I was a dick. I thought it was normal. I was like, no, I'm just a Marine. I work my ass off. But yeah. now I know that's far from the truth, right? Yeah, it's tough too. And it's funny you mentioned all that. Okay, so I think it's not your fault or anyone's fault. I think the transition that everything happened so fast really prevented us from connecting in a way that made people understand what was happening. So, you know, we'd come home from war and people don't know whether to thank us or have empathy with us or sympathy with us because of what happened. And so it's only like natural for us to get upset at certain things because of what we saw, not thinking that you guys weren't grateful for our service, but because we really had no other way to connect or interact with civilians outside. Right. But now I believe that's getting a little bit better because of the way things are you know, distributed in the world with courses, with books, with people speaking about their experiences and things like that. So I think as the more people speak about their experiences and open up, the more people are able to understand who never served. Right. right. Totally. I agree with that. Okay. And we're coming to the second half of the conversation. I admire what you've done. Again, I feel like you probably at 38 have lived like, it sounds like almost like you've lived like two people, like two lifetimes, right? Like, and now you do value obviously the time with your daughter. You do, you're looking at life a little bit differently. Would you agree that time also in where you got to now? I'm like you in that regard too. I'm like, okay, look, but I still have that second half of life almost, right? If you look at it like a game, I've got that second half of life now to really make sure I don't miss anything from my daughter. I don't miss anything with my wife. And it seems like you're doing that. So what are the steps that you did? You get out of there, the book. If take, Let's take it from there, please, George. Yeah. So it's been one of the craziest and surreal experiences I think I could have ever like gone through. And I'm still like in the middle of it a little bit. If you would have asked me like three, four five years ago, if I would have ever wrote a book about life or got a divorce, I would have laughed. Right. I was like high on the mountain, seriously, like had it all, you know, the beautiful wife, the family, the six figures, everything that you could ask for. And when all that came crashing down, uh, I obviously went into a dark side. I call it like I basically battled with my own internal demons through sex and alcohol and a little bit of drugs. And that caused me to almost take my life. Oh, no. And somehow there was a higher power saying, you're not done with your life. I didn't go through with it. I had some good friends in my back. I hired therapists and coaches. And that was the time where I really started to believe in myself and something greater. Other people like obviously held a container for me to be able to express how I felt for the first time. Mm. And that allowed me to really see myself. So I was challenged to stop drinking and I'm coming up on three years sobriety now. Congratulations. Thank you. You know, I was challenged to not have sex for, you know, three to six months. And that was really hard after divorce because I was like, well, who am I as a man? You know, attached my self-worth to my relationship status. And then in that process, like while cutting the distractions, like, I had nowhere else to be except find out who George was. And so I started to write, I started to hike, I started to enjoy time with my daughter and all these things were coming together. And the book started to kind of appear and people were telling me, Hey, like your writing is getting better. Are you ever going to write a book? I'm like, I don't know. And it started to be in a book from the journals and all that stuff. Then there was post-it notes all over my wall every day. I couldn't sleep and something just drove me to, to write. And before I knew it, COVID hit at the same time. I was like, Jesus, is life ever going to stop? It never does. It always comes. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that time I started writing a book more and more and starting to say, okay, I'm going to get this sucker published. And I was helping people in their own transitions through COVID. And that was pretty cool because that helped me through the year. I quit the gym and I just 
decided to kind of figure out who George was. And almost, what, two years later after COVID now, um, started my own business helping other entrepreneurs. And the book is doing pretty well for uh, indie author. And uh, yeah, I'm enjoying life with my daughter. And it's a lot of fun. I feel like our age and that 35 plus age group, I think you talked about like our, how our fathers were. You mentioned therapy was huge um, and obviously friends and family and having a village. I think that's always important too. I always feel bad. One of the first things when someone tells me like their family's not here or they're new in town or they're making friends, I don't know. I feel like you need a friend, you need a family member, you need a village. But my main part of this question is regarding therapy. Did you ever have a wall or a barrier up and say, I don't need therapy, but whatever happened that you did, would you recommend that to you know other people? I think a lot of men or guys, they don't want to sit there and like vent their feelings out. You know, I think we have that stereotype in our minds of you go, you lay down and, you know, Tony Soprano, you just tell a bunch of feelings to someone. How important would you say therapy was? Because my thing I actually loved and I took from that statement was I went to therapy. And for someone to admit that, a fellow man, I think that was huge of you right now. And if you don't mind, I want to touch on that a little bit. So the first time I ever went to therapy when I was 23 years old in the military and I got diagnosed with major depressive disorder. Oh, wow. And I was like, uh, I basically swore at the psychotherapist at the time, 23. I was like, who the hell are you to tell me who I am? My friend just got killed. Like, how else am I supposed to process? You guys send me overseas. Yeah. Like, I mean, so that was that. So not, not wanting to accept that was the first fight I ever had. I ripped out the record for my military, acted like it never happened. And it went on the years of never really acknowledging it. And so that led to deeper issues with alcohol, deeper issues with self-worth and all these things that I never really acknowledged. Right get out of the military because I was an air traffic controller at that time. And I had a top seat clearance from guarding embassies. Like having a major depressive disorder on your record is not really conducive to having a top seat clearance or going into the government. So I acted like I never had it. I acted like I was all good. I could play it pretty well. I was trained to do it. So I did it. No one knew it. My ex-wife probably knew it at the time a little bit because I had some crazy episodes here and there, but no one really ever knew. And so I pushed that under my belt for a few years. Then Therapy came up one or two times. My ex-wife asked me to go. I said, whatever, I'll go. I didn't like it. I never really continued. And that was it. And I never tried it again until we were in the middle of our divorce. Oh, wow. We did couples therapy. And if anybody's out there is couple therapy, you know, if you're having any type of trouble, even if you're not having trouble, I recommend it because usually when you go to couples therapy as a couple, it's, it's already too late, usually. So yeah. something I learned. So if you can go now, it's better because you've got a safe space to work through your problems, get to know each other, things like that. We went for about six months. And we were just kind of like on this constant tug of war, not going anywhere on the sixth month or so I turned to the therapist and I was like, I don't think this is going to work. And she's like, okay. And she kind of worked us through it. And then next day I know we were getting divorced and it was all good. So that was the first time I ever really committed to therapy until after, you know, I almost took my life. And then I realized like, all right, I need someone to talk to. Like I need to save space. Like these thoughts are not who I am. And I just kind of put all my training together and said, I know I can get through this if I've gotten through X, Y, Z. Like this is just another right. bump in the road, uh, a downfall. And so that's really where I kind of start to go. Um, and today I have, you know, I have men's coach and men's groups in my corner to help me. So I'm not currently seeing a therapist, but I'm in a men's group, which is really helpful. Oh, anyway, I think groups, you know, and I think therapy is, like I said, at groups, it's all about having, again, I go back to it. I think sometimes therapy is good. I think sometimes you want like a professional advice, but then I think the groups and I think friendships and I think family, I will say I've talked to two other people doing this podcast. And again, please, let me say this. I am not a professional. I am 
I in no way want to say anything like to advise people. That's not my role. But I will say you're the third person who talked about suicidal, like being on that verge. And it seems all three people I've talked to, so I don't think this is a coincidence, but they had some person that regardless, it was a person that was there for them. So I think sometimes it makes me just think that for most suicides, you know, so like, you know, they always say that analogy, like really when you say to someone, how are you doing? Like mean it, you know what I mean? Yeah. You just never really know with that. And men tend to play it really hard. I mean, anybody plays it really hard, but if you look at all the stats and stuff, I'm also not a psychotherapist or professional but if you look at all the stats over the last few years, like the suicide rates for men have gone extremely up with addiction, yeah. divorce, and it's been incredible. So that's why men's is so extremely important. Yeah. I mean, it's a, a running club is a form of, you know, men's work, right? So, so let, let's talk about that. One thing we didn't even talk about, and we need to, as we come to the kind of fourth quarter of our conversation, you mentioned hiking the gym. Would you agree? One of my things that I say, it's the best release of centering yourself and getting anger out. I used to lift weights more than I do now, but banging out weights, going for a run and pushing your body, like it's torturing yourself in a way, right? It's one of the best ways I think to release anger and literally not hurt anyone but yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Movement, I believe is definitely medicine. To me now, I've changed my mindset on it uh, because I've coached so many different years as a personal trainer and many different types of people. It doesn't matter what type of movement you do, as long as you move your body every single day. Go take a walk, right? And if you say you don't have time to take a walk, that's showing you right now what your priority is, especially when you're facing like a struggle in life, right? Yeah. There's so much research out there like that shows just a 10-minute walk per day can do wonders for your mind. No distractions, right? It's not a form of exercise. It's a form of movement. Now, exercise itself is a form of progressive overload over time where you're just doing a little bit more each time you train your body, move your body to get stronger with yourself, confident, right? To get, to accept yourself, all these things. I used to be like what you said. I used to go and pound my body into the gym, into the runs, like David Goggins style, nothing wrong with that. But it really, which I talk about in my book, on the outside, I was ripped. I looked like a bodybuilder. I had the perfect body and everything. Inside, I was dying. I had internal issues. I was sick all the time. I never knew that. And now- I train my body still all the time, but I'm not sick anymore. No, I love that. It's funny, real quick, I'll say to your point, a buddy of mine showed me this and we're actually diving into it in a blog. A hamster, think about this, a hamster can be happy in a cage with just food, water, and a wheel. Mm -hmm. Like, think about that. They don't need much. And you think of a caged animal, right? Like I, I leave my dog in a crate for like a second, right? Just to, to get them out of a room. And I, I don't crate my dogs, guys, just FYI. But they're past that stage. But I will say, but you say sometimes you got to put them in there or like when you're moving them around. And think about that. Like a hamster, though, can literally survive and be happy. I'm just trying to verify your point. Um, I want to end on this. I want to talk on your coaching. I want you to promote your website and everything. I love your website. Guys, if you can check it out, we're going to say that in a second. Can you give me some examples? I know it's kind of like that 
doctor patient relationship kind of thing without maybe saying names, but can you tell me some of the people you've touched? And this is where I feel like you're like me also, where now we have fulfillment. 6am run for me was a fulfilling journey. I actually went from a credit card, putting people in debt kind of role to now helping people be healthier. Can you talk to me about coaching? It seems like when you mentioned the word coaching, I see guys, unfortunately we do audio. Every time George says the word coaching, like his eyes are like wide, like he's excited. Let's end and talk about your coaching and some of your experiences there. Yeah, I look at it like this. To me, being a coach, being a freedom guide is a way of really helping people open up doors in their life. And, you know, I was a Marine for 10 years, really good leader, and that really carried over to the outside world. I was a personal trainer. I worked with professional athletes, CEOs, and high performance a long time. And when COVID hit, I was like, okay, I don't want to go back to the gym. I felt like a monkey for years. And I wanted to put all my life experiences to help others going through tough times because that's what I was doing, hence the art of tough transitions. And so I can recall over the last few years, like helping people just in the middle of their own divorce, in the middle of their own career changes. Like I have a really good, she was a previous client, was now a good friend of mine. She's like crushing her artist industry because I helped her like see limited wow. beliefs holding her back. I have a few clients that are going through cancer right now and they're not allowing me to be into their lives to help them through that tough time. And it's through movement and through just talking to them and just allowing them to have the space to feel safe. So all these things are happening. And it's one of those things you don't recognize that it's happening until it happens. And you just asked about it. And I just got an email or a Facebook message the other day from a guy I helped out four years ago, who was a previous veteran. He's pregnant with the second kid. He's like the highest performing CEO in his job now and all these things. So these are all those little things that I think as coaches, we tend to ignore. But when you see them come to you, are like, whoa, that's amazing. So that's what I really do it for. I love it. And now I'm putting everything together. And I'm so excited because I'm really helping people tell their story so they can attract and retain the customers who love them as an entrepreneur, as a small business owner. And uh, it's been a lot of fun. So. I love that. Awesome. And real quick, the site, where can people find you? Like, do you take clients with Zoom? One great thing, I try to find as many positives out of the pandemic as possible. Can you take a client or do like an onboarding session from anyone anywhere in the country? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, I'm based in New Hampshire and yeah, it's mostly all virtual, right? So, you know, people are feel free to reach out to me. I'll hop on a call for 20, 30 minutes for free just to chat to see where they're at to make sure we're a good fit. But the best place for people to really learn more about me is read my book, Nowhere to Go. It's available everywhere books are sold, or you can get it from me at the Art of Tough Transitions for just $1. You'll have all the things with a few weeks of emails to kind of help you dive deeper into yourself. And then there you can, you know, at the Art of Tough Transitions, there's, I got breathwork courses and then I got my one-on-one course that people just work with me one-on-one for either three, six or 12 months. And we do everything in that from movement, breath work, to other beliefs. Yeah. Breath work. It's I'm learning more and more breathing, focusing on that. Like it's so crucial runners, especially to breathe. Right. And it helps not, not just it's weird. Um, there's a lot, we maybe we'll have to have a part two on breath work. I know you got to go, uh, George. And, I mean, I'll, I'll be happy to come into your community anytime, man. We'll, you know, work something out. Just hit me up. Oh my God. Yeah, I know. George, and I was going to say, we'll talk in one second, um, but everyone else, guys, goodbye. And George, thank you so much for being on the show. And I can't wait to release this one. And this was an awesome, I wish we had more time. I know you got to go, but I really want to thank you. And I think our audience is going to be, I'm very inspired and what you've done. Thank you for everything you've done for this country. But also I hate to say, I don't want to say more importantly, but thank you for what you continue to do. It seems like you are living a life of service, bro. And I can't thank you enough for that. Oh, man, I appreciate it. Thanks for having on. I appreciate your patience today. Awesome. All right, guys, everyone else, thank you so much, everyone, for listening, and tune in next time. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye.